follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I am Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you? I'm doing good, Shad. I'm doing good as well. Great. We are happy you all are here <laughs> listening with us on this episode. We are going to get our shout-outs taken care of right here at the front. The first one is going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand. CollarandElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code four corners podcast. That's the number four capital C and corners, capital P and podcast with no spaces to save 10% off your order. The problem I've been running into is I like my collar and elbow shirts too much to wear them when I'm doing something active. I don't want to mess them up. So I'm out. I'm having to dig through and find that my collar and elbow shirts are all clean and folded and I don't want to wear them to go mow the lawn in it. So <laughs> I'm torn about what to do because they're comfortable. You want to do stuff in them, but I don't want to do that in them. And our other shout-out means we go over to Matt. Uh, yeah, that would be to Orlando Cologne. You know, Shad, mm-hmm. I would love to see Orlando Cologne on a Saturday morning wrestling program like they did back in the old days. <laughs> well, Matt, that does sound like a segue, don't it? Sounds it? Like a, it sounds like a segue, but can I go back a second? Yeah. Uh, actually, I own a lot of collar and elbow shirts, and mm-hmm. I feel like they're not they're not meant to be. Uh, like workout shirts, although you can use them as such. But I kind of feel like they're they're not really like active shirts. You know, like you get if you have like a workout shirt, it's like with what is it like moisture wicking? It has yeah, like that special material. I like those. I had to, I had actually had um before my place of employment did no dress code. I found some really nice when I worked in the mailroom <laughs> moisture wicking work shirts, which were amazing. Mm-hmm. Nice. They're not. They're not that, but they are made of a really nice soft cotton. Mm-hmm. So they're actually perfect shirts. I don't know if you guys have had this experience. Like if you go to the gym or you have a workout and then you like shower, you know, you're you're not all nice, fresh and clean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a nice like collar and elbow type of shirt. that's like that soft cotton oh, is actually yeah. a, a great thing to put on like right after your like post-workout shower because I don't know about you, like my body is still like – I guess my metabolism is kicked up, so I'm still almost like radiating heat. So yeah. a nice like a nice light, uh, soft cotton is actually really good for oh yeah you know the post post workout post shower. Some of those like shirts nice, can get really nice, heavy. Yeah, it's not it's not air wicking, but it's like that type of material actually is really conducive for like a post workout because it it really like lets everything breathe like, and it's um, really soft and comfortable. When you sent me that Becky Lynch shirt from WWE, I was oh, really WWE shirt. I was really disappointed. Cause I'm like, wow, like they're just going straight for burlap for these these days. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't mind a t-shirt that has a little bit of like thickness to it because uh, I sometimes like that. I find the material can sometimes like hold up a little longer, but yeah, like there, some of the WWE stuff like tends to really be like stiff and almost like almost like coarse. It's like you need it's, an undershirt for their shirts. Which yeah, it, it's they're it's, like really hit or miss. Well, they're getting. I feel like because I got a New Day shirt maybe like four-ish years ago, and I thought the quality of that was pretty good. And then you sent me that one. I'm like, wow, they're really starting to cheap out on they, on they their are. shirts. They are starting to cheap out. They definitely are. All and on right. top of that, the designs aren't really that good. <laughs> no, no, that's the unfortunate part. You can. Look, I can wear a nice, comfy undershirt under another shirt that I want to wear, but there are so many shirts that are out there that the designs are just so bad. I don't, I don't want to wear them. I don't want to be seen with that on my torso. So, all right. Well, we had that as our segue. So, Brad, what are we getting into tonight? Um, it's been, I think it's been a couple months now. But we yep. are finally hitting the 1992 uh, Saturday morning cartoon schedule. And I have to say, in preparation of this, I was looking at this, and this might be one of the dullest lineups of shows we've done. <laughs> yeah, it's not overall good. It's not. The problem I have with it is it's not outright bad like some other years where you can really just trash on it and have some fun. This one's kind of like, yeah, like this stuff's okay, but it's not like, it's not like it's, it's outstanding. And like a couple of like the good stuff was on during the week, which kind of, you know, devalues it. Mm-hmm. So why don't we start off? Um, so NBC has stepped out of the, of the game, which, well, actually, it's really weird because they stepped out of the cartoon game. But if you look at the schedule there, they still have like their say by the bell lineup taking up a large portion of their um, day. Yep. And um, but for me, I have to mention that in my market, which was Columbus, uh, CBS had stopped showing Saturday morning cartoons by this point. They had also gone to news. So. Uh, um, I'm going to have a blind spot on some of this stuff unless I saw it on another channel. Okay. So why don't we why don't we kick this off? As always, we'll go alphabetically. So ABC is up first. Um, so eight o'clock we have New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh still holding on. Um, I think that's <clears> been on our schedule for like five years at this point. I, th- I think you're right. No. Even with that being the case, I'm not terrifically impressed. It, my wife and I rewatched it at the start of the pandemic, and it was pretty decent until the end, like the last season, and we were kind of like, the show's gone downhill, but it was an enjoyable watch. Um, so we'll go to 8.30. Land of the Lost is still on the schedule. I don't know if this was new last year or the year before, but it feels like that it's at least been there. This is at least year two for it. Yeah. Which is a weird, like, 90s remake of a 70s show. Mm-hmm. I'll admit, it it threw me when young me learned that it was a retread of an old show. But it didn't surprise me. It was like, oh, it is? And then on the other hand, it's like, well, okay. Because it, it kind of has that feel to it. You know what's um, funny? You know what's funny about that? I didn't realize that when I was young either, but so... 
there is a comic that has run for a long time now. It's called Knights of the Dinner Table. It's like a satire mm-hmm. of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember reading it. I started reading it in about 99. And I remember they they, they did a story where someone based something in a campaign on the Slee stacks from Land of the Lost. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a minute. Like These are like 20-something losers that are nerds. And they would not be making something based on a children's show that's a couple years old. So this must be something from the 70s is when I kind of realized there mm-hmm. was a, another Land of the Lost yeah, based it. on my, that. I, I think at some point one of my parents said something about that. They're like, Land of the Lost, that 70s show? And I'm like, well, they didn't have Jeep Cherokees like this in the 70s, did they? And they're like, no, they didn't. I guess they remade it. And I was like, oh. Okay, that that was my problem solving when I was at this age. Well, my dad liked it a lot, and I think he liked it because he remembered the 70s show. Okay. But we talked about that in another one. There was another case of that with the, um, I call it the fake Ghostbusters show, which is like the, yeah. the Funimation Ghostbusters, which was this weird cartoon they made that they made to cash in on the movie. But it was based on a 70s live action show, and the characters on that were the children of the characters from the 70s show, which was super obscure. Like, it's really, it was really, it's a really bizarre callback, but. It, which was the one that called itself the real Ghostbusters? That was the. That the, was. Yeah, that was based on the t- on the movie. Yeah, and okay. they, they had to do that, I think, because Funimation got the copyright and all that for Ghostbusters, as far as like a TV show. Right, right. They got it out there first. Yeah. Which I I did not hardly watch that one at all. Like I remember the opening credits to it and I I I don't think I ever hardly watched that one. I got turned off pretty fast. It's, it's not good, but I would say like the character like the character designs really good and like it's interesting visually, but it's not to the quality of real Ghostbusters. Right. And we've gone on and on about real Ghostbusters in the past. Yeah, we have. So. So then at at 9 a.m. we have the Cowboys of Moo Mesa, which I kind of chalk this into the category of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle likes because um, it, it is. It's totally a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles clone. And there was a few of these like in the early nineties. Yeah. I think this is this like was... the prototype of that because I think it is. I think when I think we start getting into like I think in ninety three and ninety four we start getting your like street sharks, your um mummies. Biker alive. Mice from Mars. Yep. Uh, Biker Mice from Mars. See, Skeleton Warriors. Mm-hmm. Cowboys alive. Uh, yeah. Um this show was actually made by a guy who used to work on the Ninja Turtles stuff. Um, he inked uh, he inked some comics for him and that sort of thing. And so he created this, but he was smart enough to go, I'm not going to have this be contemporary. You know, I'm I'm going to I'm just going to take a western and have everything be anthropomorphic cattle for it instead of it's like, oh, it's another anthropomorphic animal crime fighting group in modern day whatever city. And, and they um they they had a very unlike the turtles I'd say which the show kind of didn't carry that over well like if you read the comics even the IDW comics 
their personalities and talents really stand out from each other but the cartoon really did a crappy job after a while of of differentiating the turtles other than like leonardo as the leader and all of that but i thought i thought with the cowboys you had you had the 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 leader guy which was like your sharpshooter guy then you had the strong guy and then you kind of had the skill lasso guy yeah so that was marshall moo montana dakota dude and the colorado kid and i remember this because i loved this show um it's it's weird. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the show was great or anything, but I like Western stuff quite a bit. Um, and it I don't know. It just kind of scratched an itch for me that nothing else was touching on at the time. Was... So I, I, I really got into it. And I'm going to be fair. The, the uh, Their theme song is actually pretty good. It's catchy. Um, and... You know, they, they have their their established, uh, you know, like Brad said, their established archetypes and everything. But then they also, you know, the supporting characters have distinct personality, too. It's not just like, oh, we've got female characters to pair off with the guys. It's like all the supporting characters have distinct personalities for a show that only ran two seasons. You know, they it seemed like they put some work into it. I remember liking it at the time. Um I don't know how well it would hold up, but I think I think it's probably better than your standard Saturday morning fair. I actually had to look because I wanted to see how contemporaneous this was to the Tombstone film, um, which Tombstone came out in December of 93, which Uh um, side note, that's probably one of my top five favorite movies of all time. Infinitely (laughs) quotable, um, really great memes from that. Um, well, buy one is always makes me laugh. <laughs> I'll be your Huckleberry. That's yeah. Yeah. Classic yeah. That's I've actually got one for each of you. It, it, that's actually probably Val Kilmer's best performance. Oh, I would be. say hands down it's his best performance. Yeah, definitely. So one thing I was going to say that's been interesting about the legacy of Cowboys of Moo Mesa is that it had they made the show. And then they had a Sunset Riders style arcade game, and uh, apparently, yeah, apparently the game they had to add a fourth for it. So they got uh, Buffalo Bill, who was the Bison blacksmith in the in the series. Apparently, that that sh- uh, the game has carried on more than the show did. And you, from what I was reading about, there are lots of people who are like, "Oh, they made a TV show out of the game." It's like no, not 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 quite, buddy. Um, you need to turn. And that was something my brother and I wanted to find that game somewhere, but uh, we never we never did. We always wanted to play it. Yeah, the um, toys look halfway decent. Yeah, I, n- I never found the toys. I wanted to, but I never did. They look um I, they look kind of like they're from the same mold as um. Did you guys ever have like the? Did you guys ever get any of the Bucky O'Hare toys? I no. saw them in stores, but I they, did not. But I know what you're talking about. They look like they're from. They look like of a similar mold from that. Mm. Okay. Which funny we've uh, talked about um, Larry Hama. I believe he actually is a co-creator of Bucky O'Hare. He is. Well, did he? Yeah, start, he started on. He started on like Conan comics, didn't he? 
Or did he start on Gru? Do you remember? I don't I don't think he started on Gru. Oh no, Stan Sakai started on Gru, I think. And then yes. he start Yeah, okay. Okay, that makes sense. Um I actually I'll be honest with you guys, I always I saw commercials for this show. I probably even saw the toys in in like the toy store, but I had never actually seen the show. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what was up. I don't know why I never saw it. Like it was de- it was on Saturday mornings like it, we know here. Like I just didn't watch it. Well, so I never really got into it. I never got the toys. So I, I didn't appreciate it. But is is it on like DVD? It or online? It is. Or, it is on DVD. Um, it, I can't hmm. remember. Can't remember the name of the company that did it, but they put the two seasons out on DVD. And I, if I remember what I, I I watched a video about it earlier today. I think the guy said it was like twenty bucks. It's probably on streaming somewhere because I know this had a run on like um that Disney XD into mm. the early two thousands. Also, I want to say I first actually saw this because um ABC would do that Friday night preview before the season premiere, and they would always tie that into TGIF and have mm. um people that were on the shows like kind of. Debut it. They talk about the new shows, and you might get to see some clips of it. And I think this one they showed like maybe like five minutes of the show the day before. Ah, okay. To get you hyped up for it. Gotcha. I did. Uh, you say that, and now I kind of remember it, um, but not very well. So. So. The, um, I bet it is, and I bet I bet it's streaming somewhere. Let me. You know, I'm gonna look that up right now. Clickety clack goes my loud keyboard. I think it was. I think it was pop popularish. Uh, I know that because I think that I got it from. Um, I was watching a YouTube video about um, historic toys or something like that, and the guy talking about it's like, oh, it was released on DVD, and he goes, and it might even be on YouTube, and you're recommended it's, right where I'm pointing on your screen. It's readily available on YouTube in complete form. Okay. Yeah, I was looking to see if it was streaming anywhere. I see a VHS for it. Um I mean like I said, I know it's been re- I know it's been released on DVD, but I mean I mean it being released on DVD is not necessarily a, um an obstacle to getting it on DVD. Also true. Also true. You just yeah, it was rerun nowhere to look. Rerun on Toon Disney. Um from 98 to 01. Spe- speaking of obtaining things on DVD and Blu-ray that might necessarily not have a release on DVD, I want to give a shout out to the IVP guy. Um, 52 bucks and I got the entire TV season for 1984 All Japan on Blu-ray. Um, thumbs up on my end. Cool. Six discs, 52 weeks of an hour TV show. I am excited to get into it. Oh, I completely forgot. Tim Curry did a voice for that Mumesa show. Oh, who was he? He was Jacques Lebeef. <laughs> oh. And um, Jim Cummings was Dakota Dude. Jeff Bennett was Colorado Kid. Pat Fraley was Marshall Montana. Yeah, it had a pretty uh, standard uh, voice cast for the time. Yeah. So then uh, um, we're going to go to 9.30. We have Darkwing Duck, which... This is the second season, which there were new episodes of this because I remember um, Taurus Bulba came back 
like yeah. half robot one. Um, this will this will be kind of like the end of new Darkwing episodes. But we talked we talked it we did we did kind of an episode on him like really just a great TV show. Yeah, you're really good. We went pretty far in depth on that one. Yeah, we did because I think I think we all had an affinity for that, and I think I think even at the time it might have been the best superhero show out there because I think I think Batman the animated series was just starting up in '92. Yeah, I think that's right. Maybe '93. So then. Yeah, I um, think that's right. 10 a.m. We have another Disney afternoon mainstay that's coming on the scene, which is Goof Troop. Um, I have not revisited Goof Troop as an adult. I will say the movie, a goofy movie, is probably one of Disney's better, better movies, even of the 90s, of like their really great run of stuff. I, I have a real soft spot for a goofy movie. I have heard lots of people um, advocating for it. I, I have never I have never watched it. Because um, Goof Troop, it didn't do a whole lot for me. I don't know if it was just like uh, my focus is somewhere else. You might have been. A, you might have been. I, I, I think. I think where Goof Troop really struggles is I think you have to be of certain age groups for it to work for you. I think you have to be like a dad in your like 30s and be like Goofy and Pete's age, or you have to be like. <laughs> You have to be like in that preteen to early teen years, like um, Max and PJ were. I was just shy of that at this point in time, and that means that watching it now, I would fall into that first category. But from what I have heard, um, if you're a teenager watching a goofy movie, you're like, oh god, you should just leave Max alone. But if you're an adult, she's like, Max, just go do stuff with your dad, and. I don't need that kind of that kind of torment in my life right now. <laughs> he just needs to own up to and be honest too. Mm. But I, 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 there's some stuff I liked about the show. I don't remember it well because it's been a long time since I've seen it. But I remember watching it and liking it at the time. What about you, Matt? I never really was much into Goof Troop, so I don't really have. Uh, people love the show, and I, it look, it may have been like perfectly great, but. I I started after Darkwing Duck. I kind of just didn't get into the whole Disney animated uh, well afternoons or even I guess Saturday mornings. Like I just wasn't. I I was a huge fan of Darkwing, but Goof Troop like uh, it wasn't like superheroes. It wasn't like even kind of like fantasy or adventure like Gummy Bears or Chippendales yeah. Rescue Rangers. So then, it was kind of like I was kind of like uh. Eh. And then you get like Bonkers, which I didn't like. Bonkers. Oh, I never watched that either. I didn't like that. I didn't watch it. I think the only the, the only one I really liked. Well, I liked Aladdin a bit, but um, I think Quack Pack was the last real Disney afternoon one that I ever like paid much attention to. I saw like one or two episodes of Aladdin at some point. You know, in one of those vacation settings when you don't have anything to do, else to do but nothing else is on. Yeah. But. Um, and, and that seemed to be okay, but I don't know. I, I was, I was past the age range for that. And Goof Troop, at least to me, seemed to be enthusiastically okay. Like, yeah, it's fine, I guess. There, there's, it, some, it was... there's some good touches to it. Like, I like how 
PJ's more like goofy and Max is more like P. Um, I like, you know, just the, the, the weird neighbor stuff. Like there's, there's stuff I think I would sympathize with as an adult with goof troop. If I remember correctly, and I might not, I've been hitting the head a few times, but there seemed to be, um, a lot of recurring, uh, plot lines like same plot line with different twists so you know pete's a jerk and tries to screw goofy out of something just to do it seemed to come up a lot I think that's, like, that's standard of like a 65 episode cartoon that they wrote in you know a couple of years and and that's um that's just i don't know it just wore on me and oh i'm dumb I, um Gargoyles hasn't hit yet, so Gargoyles would be the last Disney afternoon one I, I watched a lot of. <laughs> oh, I I mean, we've talked about Gargoyles before. Like, I was a huge fan, and I still think that's one of the best, uh, certainly, like, American animated programs of all And it's, time. A, it's a T&G reunion tour, almost. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, have, I have to admit something. I never watched Gargoyles. It's really not good. because I oh my god not because I didn't want to caveat caveat not because I didn't want to but it just never seemed to work out with the timing the, like when it, if I was gonna try and watch it something came up or something would happen and and get in the way or something like that so I just never got to you you had to I be know, careful with it because especially here like. Some of the stations did not run the episodes in any logical order, which would really make it a tough watch if it wasn't in order because it had it didn't have it didn't have episode to episode plot progression, but it had season to season plot progression. So the episodes had to be uh-huh. in some working order or it yeah. just was not a good watch. If well, you if you got to if you got deep in a uh, was season two because they did three seasons but season three was technically like the 13 episode season that went on saturday mornings which is like thematically is very different than the other two seasons if you were like deep into season two you'd probably be lost because when you have um goliath and eliza who are two of the main characters they they go on this whole like world tour mm-hmm. like, during that you'd be like what what completely lost and like demona's appearance changes because of of plot points his daughter like comes in and later Uh um like when they're um when they're dealing with like camelot and time traveling like that's oh yeah yeah but it is a show that you absolutely should go back and watch Mm -hmm. it is a fantastic show like it's it's a show that literally combines like science fiction fantasy uh, superhero elements and it even wraps in Shakespeare in yeah. a way that actually makes sense. In fact, like Macbeth is in my opinion, it's certainly for a, a, a ostensibly a kid's cartoon, but definitely like an animated show. He is one of the most like complex villains, almost mm-hmm. edging by the end into almost like an anti-hero or at least, like, not an anti-hero really more like an anti-villain. Like it's it's incredibly complex. Like Demona's whole like her storyline progression is fantastic. Yeah, it's right. It's an incredibly smartly written show. And it it has it literally has every cast member from TNG except for like Patrick Stewart. 
Yeah. And I think yeah, Will it, Wheaton isn't in it. These are the only two that don't. They're in it. Right. Like Jonathan Frakes is um. Xanatos. Yeah. And then like I'm aware of a lot of the the um. I think Ed uh, Asner's like, in it too because he's um. Yeah, he is. I'm looking at the list right now because he's Hudson. And Goliath is um. Oh. Keith David. Yeah. Keith David. Yeah. There's um. It's 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 really probably one of the best um. Heck, Alan yeah. Cumming voice. was in it. Yeah. One of the best voice casts. Yeah, probably one of the best voice casts. Other than, I will say though that um, Batman the animated series is insane. Like just like oh, that's true. Having like Adrian like Barbeau in it, like um. Yeah. Just just the people that pop up in that is is crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only thing, yeah, I'm on a tangent for just a second. The only thing about Batman the Animated Series that makes me sad, and I will never, ever say anyone else should be the Joker than Mark Hamill, but apparently Tim Curry tested as Joker, and they were like, yeah, we can't use this. This is too creepy. He did a, yeah. a follow-up series. Somewhere. And, and he yeah, he's elsewhere in the series, but I'm like, I'm really curious what that sounded like now. Also, right? um... Superman the animated series has an outstanding cast too. Yes. Yeah. Just yes. having Brad Garrett as Bibbo Bukowski is so <laughs> great. And um uh, Dana oh, Delaney gosh. is um Lois. Um Lex Luthor Lobo. is um who was Lobo? Oh Lobo was Brad Garrett too, wasn't he? Yeah. I think so. And then he I know he was also Kilowog in Justice League. Yeah. I, I love Lobo in, in the animated series, though. He's such a douche. <laughs> well, that's what Lobo's supposed to be. Um, but they they really they did a great job nailing Lobo's character. Where so many people it's still abstract Lobo. I still get pissed off if I watch it. That episode where like they push Darkseid back and he kills Turpin just because he's a petty little bitch about it. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Who was there was so so who was Turpin's voice? Because there was a gimmick behind who was Dan Turpin in Superman the Animated Series. Oh, that's right. Ed Asner was Granny Goodness in that. Oh yeah, yes, that which is great. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up because it's gonna bug me if I don't. Uh, uh, Joseph Bologna, Bologna. <laughs> I think it's Bologna, but it's that's that was Dan Turpin. There's a gimmick there, and I don't know what it is. It it's bug. It, oh my god, it's gonna bug the hell out of me. Lisa Edelstein was Mercy Graves. There, those both of those shows were just loaded with stuff. And I have to add too that um to go with Batman the animated series, Mask of the Phantasm is an is an outstanding movie, and I, probably yeah. Mark Hamill's best um performance as the Joker. Yeah. Uh, I got to see that when they did the re- they did a re- uh, uh, a theatrical release uh, a, a few years ago of the animated series or of Mask of the Phantasm. So I paid full ticket price and went to a movie theater, which is weird for me to watch Mask of the Phantasm. It, you know I what's, loved it. You know what still shocks me about that movie is very few things have ever delve so deeply into the Bruce side of things and given him such complexities and like nuances that movie has. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I really love it. It's it's really it's a really great movie. If you haven't seen it, I think it's on HBO Plus right now. Like you owe it to yourself to like watch that. Yeah, I owned Mask of the Phantasm on DVD for years, but never watched it because I was like, I gotta have the right like setup for this. I gotta find somebody to let let me borrow like a home theater system or something to watch this. By the way, the thing that was bugging me about Turpin in that was not who voiced it, but the fact that. Dan Turpin was based on Jack Kirby. Oh, that, that that's what was sticking in my head. That's the gimmick. Yeah. And also I want to say, cause it's all, it also involves Mark Hamill, but I love, um, it's brutal though. So know what you're getting into, but Batman beyond return of the Joker is also an underrated <laughs> movie, but the Tim Drake Ooh. stuff is brutal in that. That is, it is, but I love the, I love the end when Joker shows up though. And, and, um, Terry's just like, Bruce is telling him what to do, and Terry's like, wait a minute, that's not what I do. And the Joker's like, yeah. what are you doing? He's like, I'm fighting dirty. And he's like, Batman wouldn't do that. He's like, I told you, I'm not Batman. And he the just, like, knees I, him in the balls. The thing that I love about that is that Terry starts taunting him, and Joker's getting mad, and Terry gets right to the heart of it. He goes, that's the thing, isn't it? You never could get the old man to laugh. I can. And Joker's just, like, coming apart at the seams. That's... I love that showdown. You're right. That's that's great. I'm that's looking at underrated. the Gargoyles cask again. Batman Beyond was an underrated cartoon. I really... Holy cow. You guys talked about the Macbeth character in Gargoyles. That was John Reese davies Yes. Yeah, CCH Pounder was in it. Um, you had, uh, speaking of... Uh... Clancy Brown was in it. Man, that is a really good cast. It's a great origin story too. The origin story is brutal in that because they like mm-hmm. they like trick him away and they break all these gargoyles except for a couple that were in the basement. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of Tim Curry, he was Anton Savarius, one of the major villains. Yep, there he is. Yep. You also had um, David Warner as the Archmage. That was a fantastic character. Oh man. Okay. Here's what Peter I'm going to do. Did a, Peter Scolari did a, a voice for it. Kate Mulgrew. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I forgot right. she did, too, because they even, they're even they even getting some... Because um, didn't um the guy that played Tuvok do a voice in this? Um, uh, I don't know that actor's name. I don't either. Tom Wilson! Was Matt Bluestone in it? Oh, my God! No, you should watch it, Chad. Like you, that was Biff Tannen. It, um, it's an absolutely fantastic show. Yeah. All right. What I I'm going to do for uh, Gargoyles, I have a plan because I, I've had this plan for a while. But when it, um, when my kids, as they get older, uh, I've planned to slowly introduce stuff to them as they get older, right? Because like, right now they're real little, and so I'm letting them enjoy the real little stuff. You know, well, I don't need to rush them into into watching, you know, what I want them to – I'm going to let them enjoy what they enjoy while they're little, right? So, um, you know, there's there's kids stuff they like. They really like PJ Masks right now. That's fine. That's wonderful. As they get older, I'll start introducing that. Whenever they get uh, – they get a little bit older, then we'll watch Gargoyles together. That'll be a thing that we'll do. Um. And so we'll uh, we'll get Kate Mulgrew was in um, 
Batman the Animated Series somewhere too, but I'm not gonna go run that down. Oh, who was she in that? You're gonna drive me nuts now. Okay, now you're gonna. Uh, in, in what show? Batman the Animated Series. Ooh. Uh, or maybe she was in Superman. Is that what I was where I was seeing it? She was in one or the other. Was she um? Was she Zod's side? Uh, was she Zod's partner? I'm looking. I think it was Superman. So I'm going to have to pull it. And I forgot that Ron Perlman was Clayface in the animated series. Oh, I mean, you had Ed Asner yep. as Rupert Thorne. You had, um, yeah. You, who was Harvey no, Dent? Rupert Harvey Thorne, Dent. Rupert Thorne was John Vernon. Richard Mull was Harvey Dent. Yes, that's right. Bull was, uh, Bull was Harvey Dent. That's right. Mm-hmm. Sorry, <laughs> I think of Richard Mull as, um. Is, Ed Asner uh, was Roland Daggett. Oh, that's right. Hey, Mulgrew was the Red Claw. Oh, okay, that, that makes sense, yeah. That's what it was. Oh, God, it's just such a good voice cast. It is. It's really good. Oh, uh, and I, I, you know, I just forget. And, and every now and then I'll go back and look because I just forgot. And um, Lex Luthor from Superman was the head guard in, um, in, oh, why can't I? I I'm Shawshank sorry. For Dad. Yeah, he was the head. He was the head. Um, it was, was um, the head. Yeah, guard. Clancy Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Clancy, Clancy Brown, Brown has been in like a million things. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, Clancy Brown just has the such an amazing menacing stare, you know. And I know he does good voice work, but man, it's hard to. Dag, got it. Benjamin Sisko's dad was Lucius Fox. How did I forget that one? You know. You know what I also liked about the animated series before we move on is I liked when they gave Alfred some side stuff and you realized really quick, like, yeah, you don't want to mess with Batman, but um, you probably don't want to be in a room f- with Alfred because Batman's all bluster and Alfred will break things to get what he needs out of you. Cause Alfred, Alfred, Alfred worth nothing to mess with. Alfred was a bad man in his younger days. Well, yeah, that was in the red claw episodes. And I, well, I like the one where he and um, his... Lion and the unicorn dancing round and round. The I li- lion. <laughs> I like when he and, um, he and, um, he and that, his friend go to the, the spa run by Poison Ivy. That's a good episode. It is. You're and the right. one where, um, Killer Croc falls in with, like, the circus freaks on, like, the farm. That was really good. Yeah. That one was really... Okay. That one was heartbreaking just... because, like... It's one thing to, like, a villain to be a villain, but, like, the way Croc just, like, disappointed people and, like, his justification just, like, I'm that's just who I am. And, it's and just, like, Croc had a moment where he almost changed, yeah. if I remember right. He it's like you're did. selling yourself short, dude, like. Yeah. Okay, I pulled the Superman cast back up because there was, uh, I knew I was forgetting so I. Two people I forgot that we hadn't mentioned is that Michael Ironside was D- Darkseid. Oh, he's um. Dal was Metallo. Michael Ironside still does Darkseid to this day. He even did it for the Harley Quinn TV series. Which incidentally is just a boatload of fun if you feel like watching it. Did did um did um did um did what's his face Frank Welker? Did he do um? Oh, what's the monkey's name? Titano. Did he do Titano's voice? Uh, I don't know. I'll see if I can find it. If you don't know, 
just because we're doing animated stuff. Frank Welker has made no, maybe it's not Frank Welker. It's Frank Welker, I think, or um, there's someone, one of those like really famous voice actors has made like a living just doing animal noises for stuff. Frank he Welker, was, that's that's definitely him. He voiced uh, a creature in Superman the Animated Series, um, but I it just says creature. I don't know what it. So probably. You know what's funny is he's done. Went the serpent. He's done Fred for almost everything for scooby-doo like forever animated other than like a thing here or there he's always been fred yeah for like 50 years now that's crazy yeah but no it just it 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 just freaked me out to look at it and be like oh my god that was malcolm mcdowell was metallo yeah you know i forget the the cast is so big and so good that i just I'll look at it, and I'll even if I knew something before, I'll freak out looking at it again because I'll be like, "Ah, it's who that was, and that's awesome." And speaking of speaking of favorite performances of mine, Jim Cummings doing Minsk in um, Baldur's Gate is still one of my favorite performances of his. Because I drive with my wife nuts sometimes. Did either of you play Baldur's Gate? I tried to, and I couldn't get it to run, and I just never went back to it. So, so he, I feel like I played one of the Baldur's Gate that was on the Game Boy Advance. Okay. So so Minsk is like this ranger that's legitimately insane, and he has a hamster he carries around he calls Boo, and he talks to Boo. So one of the times when you're going into battle, remember this is Jim Cummings doing this, you're like sending your characters into battle. He's like, go for the eyes, Boo! Go for the eyes! <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I think so, there's a callback to that in League of Legends if you play Quinn, but that's just an aside. Anyway, so um, we're gonna go to 10:30, which is a cart, which is a cartoon that never really struck with me though. I really love the movies, and I might be willing to talk about the movies for a couple minutes. But the Adams Family, which the first movie is fantastic. I. I never watched the show. I never watched the movie. The show, oh, the I... show's missing a little bit, but like Christopher Lloyd is Fester, and um, um, I can't think. Well, no, um, John Aston is the original Gomez, and then um, Raul Julia as um Fest is uh is Gomez in the movies is really good. Um, the first movie I love. I think the first movie's great. I watched it like when it came out on video around like in the early nineties, like contemporaneously basically as to when it came out on video in that time period. And I have not seen it in like the 25 plus years since it came out. So I remember it being like a big deal. I remember it actually getting, uh, it was being popular. Like it got, it got some heat, but I can't, I, if you were, if you were to tell me like a single thing about it, like I couldn't tell you the plot. I, I just don't remember it. He had, like, Fester had, like, amnesia, and they were trying to, like, steal money from the house. It's pretty much what the plot was. Mm-hmm. The one thing... Weirdness. The thing that I remember about the Adams Family is so much of it was supposed to be, like, the characters were supposed to be aversions uh, of tropes that were in TV and movies at the time. And... When someone said that, I, I I sat there and scratched my head and I went, how jacked up is it that the inversion of the trope for Gomez and Morticia is that they are just madly 
in in love and in all over each other so much of the time is like the fact that 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 was the inversion of the trope i'm just like what kind of message did that send to everybody to people from every other show at the time right they they date back to like the 20s i think because they were like a a comic strip of some sort were they yeah all right fair enough I, I'd have to look at when they started, but I've seen like comic strips from way back in the day, and that's kind of what they started at. Now, personally, if, if you're talking about, and I'm going to probably, people are going to get the pitchforks out for this, but if you're talking <laughs> about the old black and white shows, I kind of like the Munsters better. Hmm. I don't know that I would agree with that. But I like Fred Gwynn a lot, and I, I there's just something about him and Grandpa getting into there. So, was it the Adams Family or the Munsters that had Lurch? Was that Adams Family? Yeah. Adams Family. All right. I am going to I'm going to tangent the living hell out of this. My dad had a roommate in college that everybody called Lurch. Lurch was a weird dude, but he was six foot seven. This was in the early seventies. Wore trench coat everywhere he went. Carried a loaded pistol everywhere he went. At one point, he stole. A, a signal beacon off of a river buoy. The, the the damn thing, the red line on it was bright enough that when Dad walked into his dorm room, he held up a playing card. Uh, you know, it was a heart or a diamond or something. It would the the red was so intense in the light that you couldn't see anything on the playing card. He Lurch, what is that? He goes to river beacon. He goes, where'd you get it, Lurch? Found it. He said, Lurch, I'd appreciate it if it didn't stay here. He goes, wasn't going to. And he, he did stuff like that all the time and didn't talk much. So I, I can't – I can't. Adam's family comes up, Lurch comes up. My brain immediately pulls that. This is my apology for your weird tangent, probably for the episode. It's a highly frustrating platformer that came out around the movie for Super Nintendo and Genesis 2. Oh, yeah. Um, wasn't Fester's Quest on NES? Yes, that's also a highly yes. frustrating game. That's more like yeah. a Blaster Master ripoff, though, in places. It is, and it was one of the earliest ABGN episodes, I think. I think, um, yeah, I think it was in the first ten. Yeah, that's how bad it was, is that is that James Rolfe got... This was one of the things that spurred James Rolfe into being angry enough about old games to make that series. Because one of my favorite callbacks <laughs> of early AVGN is him doing the Top Gun game where he can't land the plane, which I can never land the plane either. And then he's crapping on the power glove and he lands the plane, the plane successfully with the power glove. On the first try. Yeah. And then they found and out he... years later, like a couple years ago, they did like a revisit and he figured out like that the game... You're supposed to do the opposite of what it tells you to do. Or it's like speed up, speed down instead of nose up, nose down or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. And it's like, well, then how? Because it's not in the instructions. How are you no. supposed to know? I never liked, other than um, Captain Skyhawk, I never liked those kind of first person um plane shooters on the NES or anything, really. I never cared for those. I loved it, but it was always so frustrating because I couldn't land it at the end of the mission. So, you know, there was a clock or there was a a time limit on how long I could play it. Or I'd miss the the mid-level refuel and just die. Mm. 
Okay, so 11 to noon, we have Bugs and Tweety. We've talked about them ad nauseum. I think that's on the schedule every year. Yep. Noon is a pup named Scooby-Doo. Same thing we've talked about. That's... I can't believe that's still on there, actually. Because that's like... I think they were just filling a slot. And then the ABC Weekend Special we've talked about before, but I don't remember what that is. That's like kind of after school specially, I think, but I don't know. So, um... That's ABC. I I think that's a pretty meh lineup, if you ask me. Uh, it's not a good lineup. The thing I would I I didn't watch it at the time, but if I were to if I were presented with the lineups like now, uh, I'd be interested in the Cowboys of Moon Mesa and Darkwing Duck. And yeah, that about cap you, won't it? Not yeah. really the rest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That'll about do it for that whole lineup. That nine. And 9.30 block is about all it's got going for it. Yeah. So then um, we're going to head over to CBS here. It's still weird that, like, I feel like ABC should be exclusively Disney stuff at this point. But, like, CBS is still getting a healthy dose of Disney at this yeah. point. So and they're getting some Don Bluth, too, with this first one. So uh, CBS has Fifles American Tales. I have no idea what this is. Um, so I, I mentioned it earlier. By this point in my market, CBS wasn't really showing cartoons, and I never even knew what this was a thing. So is this like, is this like a cartoon spinoff of like the, the second Fifel movie, or is this like some weird like educational show with Fifel in think it? All I know is that it's based off with that same character, but I didn't even like the movie. The movie so. I didn't watch it. The first movie or the second movie? Yes. You didn't like either? Like, I, I didn't get all the way through either one of them. I well, didn't the, like it. The, fir- the first one scared the shit out of me as a kid. Because so if you <laughs> haven't seen an American Tale, um, Matt's probably Matt was about my age, so he probably knows. Like, So you think you're getting into a cute little mouse movie? And like in the first like two minutes, like it's like a Russian village, and like these these revolutionary cats are coming through and like burning the, the villages to the ground and um, the mice are like I fleeing. I don't really, I remember there was a movie and I think there was even like a sequel movie. There was, there was like but, a Western sequel. The yes. Bible goes West. Yes. But beyond that, I can't tell you anything about this and I don't, I I have no concept of there being an actual show. I don't remember it at all. I don't think an American tale could get made now because I think it's far too scary for children. Uh, yeah, it was Don Bluth. But, okay, Don Bluth is a great storyteller, but he has this trope of I'm going to take this movie that looks like you should enjoy and your kids should enjoy. I'm going to traumatize the living shit out of you right in the middle. And then they'll have a happy ending. As the tiger, the cat, I think. But, you know, he... Don Bluth starts this movie. You're excited for it. You're looking forward to what's going to happen. You get traumatized in the middle. Then you get a happy ending to hopefully erase all that trauma that was just piled on you. But, yeah, it's Russian Jewish family of mice that gets run to America by the, the cat's pogroms. And then, like, they it's get like, their names changed, and, you know, America's not what they expected. It's a really sad movie. It's not as bad as Bambi, though. Bambi is the worst. The literal worst. Oh, oh I, I... Have I talked about this on the show before? No. I mean, has Bambi ever been brought up? No. This 
when did Bambi first come out? It was like in the sixty, the fifties or the sixties, but it got, I think it got a re-release in the mid eighties. Hey Kelly, yeah. yes. Do you remember when Bambi got like the big push when we were kids? Was it like mid eighties? Okay, yeah. I, I remember there were McDonald's it, toys at some point. It was re-released in 82, 88. Wow, I guess it's been re-released yeah. a few times. Okay, so 88 would probably be when we were cognizant of it, because I would have only been... Okay, so it, 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 one of the re-releases, and I was maybe like three years old. Um, I don't... I don't I'm weird. Like I don't really have many memories from before I was say like four, but I probably have, I have like a, a handful of memories that for when I was like younger than that, like three or so. And one of the memories I have is that in one of those re-releases, my mom took me to see Bambi <laughs> at the movie theater, like the actual movie theater. Did she yeah. at least warn you what you're in for? No, I don't think she ever saw it. Like, I don't think she knew what was happening. So whatever the the stage is in the movie where the hunter shoots Bambi's mother, I had a complete and utter meltdown. In yeah, the movie my theater. mom warned me. You and everybody me. else in the theater, I, I bet. crying inconsolably to the point where we left – the theater and that was the end and i've never seen the rest i've never well, seen the rest it of gets, Bambi. it gets it worse because true. their their home burns down like the woods burn down at the end see my i i similar story matt um my i i think the 88 re-release my parents rented it for me to watch or something i i didn't ask for it but here it is Hey, we got a movie for you to watch. Oh, that's exciting for young me. I'm going to watch this. That scene happens, and I'm standing in front of the TV completely poleaxed, my eyes probably the size of dinner plates with just tears brimming. And then we finally get to the end of it, and it's like, oh, you know, we're supposed to have the good Disney ending, and there Bambi goes to And my dad thinks it's funny from where he's sitting on the couch to lift his hands up and mimic shooting a gun. And I'm like, and I just, like, freaked out on my dad i'm just like what do you do you know just i mean absolutely screamed at him and he had this moment of utter confusion about why and it's like i don't know just about an hour ago i was traumatized by the fact that his mom had that same thing happen to him but why don't we take this character that i've built an attachment to over the course of two hours and you shoot him too you know i wonder what it's it did, I didn't have my well. My mom had warned me, but at the time, I think I'd seen this. I had lived through Transformers the movie, so I was battle hardened by the loss of a beloved character. You already had a callus on your soul. Yeah, because I had already lived through Optimus yeah. Prime being okay. killed. Here's I'm gonna tell you this story. What'd you say? Because my oh yeah, um, my wife brought up a good one that's also horrific is Land Before Time. Yes. And that that's, one's, that's Don Bluth that I think of every time. That even has, like, visual shadows of her getting, like, chomped on, too. Yeah, yeah. That's That that one is going to stay in the archive. Uh, that was Steven Spielberg. I think he's to blame for Land Before Time. Well, it was a Don Bluth film, and it fits the Don Bluth um, progression. But Hey, I think they're still making sequels to that, actually. I think they are. Okay, sad story. 
the little girl that voiced Ducky in that movie, she passed away because her dad was violently abusive. Oh, that's yeah, and her her tombstone, like she was ten when she passed away. Her tombstone has yup 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 like inscribed on it. Oh, that's terrible. But here's the speaking of your kids being traumatized by an animated movie. A few months ago, a friend of ours, you know, once once we were all vaccinated and able to get together and that sort of stuff, got a showing to the Iron Giant. I never saw that, actually. Well, my oldest did fine, but <laughs> we start watching this. My youngest has, like, perched on my lap in, like, this tense little ball, like, through the whole thing. Keep trying. So, you want to sit in your seat? You want to sit in your? No, no, no. Just like perched on my lap. So, uh, spoiler alert, Brad. It's not really a spoiler because it's done. Honestly, the movie is done extremely well, and it's done well enough that even if you know what happens, it doesn't change the impact. Um, but at the end, like the giant can rebuild itself. At the end, the giant goes and and stops this warhead, and the like the only thing they have they have one piece left of it right well the very and and my the very end of the movie whenever the giant's repairing itself like the pieces quiver and then start like dragging magnetically towards wherever it's going right like so you get this impression it's like oh the giant's not gone you know at the very end you get a hopeful thing but my poor youngest child starts sobbing sobbing giants gone giants gone it's like no 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 look 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 he's putting himself back together he screams no he's not he died and i'm just like oh god you're doing a half you're not supposed to have a grasp on this kind of thing and it's you know, that he had a perfectly natural reaction he yeah. did he it's did a, that movie is a tearjerker it um, is if not many people out there pr- probably have Apple TV. Um, we have Apple TV because I bought my wife uh, a brand new iPad for her birthday. And I guess they're doing some sort of deal where because of that, we got like a year worth of Apple TV for free. And I don't think Apple TV is expensive. I think it's maybe like, I think it's actually only like five bucks or something like that. But anyway, we were trying to what we've been trying to watch some of the, a lot of their shows because we have this year free and we watched the show Ted Lasso, which okay. has gotten a lot of um, it's gotten a lot of uh, acclaim and, and mm-hmm. accolades, and it's it start it stars Jason Sudeikis as like the main the guy from like uh, The Hangover and some other stuff. Okay, he plays the main character Ted Lasso. The premise is that he is uh, he was an American like college football coach and he gets hired to be to be the coach of essentially like a what's basically it's the version of like a british premier league uh, soccer team that is not doing well i mean they're facing relegation because their their record is so poor and initially like he's hired because the team gets taken over it's owned by this one uh british dude who's planned by anthony head the guy who played Giles on Buffy the okay. Vampire Slayer, and he's All just right. he's just like a douche. But he he's getting he gets a divorce, and the wife in the divorce gets the team, and she starts off the show 
intentionally wanting to run the whole uh, soccer team into the ground because that was like the one thing he really loved. He loved his soccer team. Yeah. So she hires this American football coach thinking like he, he can't possibly know soccer and he's going right. to like mismanage the team. It's all going to go to shit. So all of that premise, uh, it's, it is an absolutely fantastic show. It is a feel good show. It is heartwarming. It's almost like tearjerker at points because it, it's, it's dramatic at points. You root for everyone, but there is a, there's a, there's a scene in that where Ted Lasso, he's like, always positive he's like almost always positive and it, it it eventually starts becoming infectious and people start believing in him and the team because of how positive he is but he's trying to get the team who's very like disjointed and they're not really getting along he's trying to get them to bond and connect yeah and one of the things he does is that he kind of like rents out like a movie theater and he gets the team in there and he's like he starts showing them iron giant and he's like talking to like his assistant coach or uh, somebody or whatever. He's like, J- just wait, like you'll see. And then it cuts back at towards like later on in the episode, it cuts back to them like watching it towards the end, mm-hmm. and you just see grown men cry. <laughs> it's like that's exactly what's gonna happen. Yes, it affects everyone that way. It's it yeah. is it's it, Iron Giant is like a really fantastic movie, and it is it is it's I would say it's like a modern. I actually would put it as like a modern classic in terms of animation yeah it's it's interesting because it, it it's it's got elements of like kind of retelling like frankenstein in it a little bit but then you know the the choosing your own like hellboy revisits the same concept of like you choose who you are and that's you get to the end and if you're not crying whenever you hear vin diesel's voice say superman then you're you have no soul and, you know, just go ahead and, and get yourself a casket because you're done. That's out. You know, we're we're done at that point. Um, yeah, Matt's absolutely right. I mean, look, I, I knew going in it was going to hit me. I'm I've. I, I can't even with a straight foot, you know, some things will hit me and I'll just be tender hearted. And this just this just reached right in there and got a hold of me. The real last one that like tore me apart was Toy Story 3. At the end, have either of you seen that? Um, that's no. where they they move along, right? Well, so so the whole movie is about how you know their owner grew up and they go to this like retirement village, and then he gets them back and he gives them to like oh yeah I don't yeah, know a yeah, daughter or the daughter of a friend, and like yeah. the whole movie is about how they just want to play with him one last time, and then he plays with all of his toys with this new kid, and it yeah. just it destroys you as an adult. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Like, people are like, I'm going to go see that. And I'm like, I'm like, just the last 10 minutes will, will, brace will, wreck, yeah, will wreck you as a human being. Like, well, brace yourself. If, if you're going to see the Iron Giant, just strap in and brace yourself because okay. that's what it does that's to you. That's good to know. I mean, um, it's good, but brace, brace yourself. That's good to know. Um, okay. So, you know, this is a weird one to me, so I don't know. The Little Mermaid seems really late to the party because I think that was like a three-year-old movie at this point because I think that was like 89 or 90. Was it that late? It has to be. Because it came out when – um. because I think it came out like around the same time as All Dogs Go to Heaven, and I think All Dogs Go to Heaven had a sequel yeah. by this point. It was a 1989 movie. Yeah. Well – Because remember – um. 
because the joke had already happened, but remember they made a joke about it on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air about how it was too saucy for for some of the guys at the prep school and Carlton made some comment about it. Huh. Uh, I, I, I didn't get to watch much Fresh Prince of Bel-Air till later in my life because it just didn't show up in my market. Oh, it's such a that's such a good show. Until like the it last is, couple of seasons is. when they start doing the specials episode but like um james avery is brilliant in that and like yes. him throwing the 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 friend out and like sherman helmsley is like out. yeah yes. and sherman helmsley is like the judge was really great the, i've seen some of fresh print i saw it later i didn't see it when it first aired um and it it is oh it's good you know the 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 scene with james avery and will smith right after ben vereen leaves and some of the scenes where James Avery goes full like evil, full like I'm gonna wreck you, judge mode, uh, in defense of Will and Carlton, and um, the my favorite is um, Will f- un, like Carlton unwittingly giving getting high on something that was in Will's locker that somebody else gave him. Like you know those that's that's some damn compelling TV. My and, favorite is when they go to the pool hall and they get played and, and um, oh. <laughs> Uncle Phil shows up and he loses a couple of games. Like He's like, well, like, I guess we'll have to do that. And he's like, Jeffrey, get the box. Break out yeah. Lucille. Yeah. Uh, James Avery was so fantastic in that. And, and, and I have oh, to ahead. say about James Avery, I've been reading the Turtle comics from IDW. Like I cannot read something with Shredder without James Avery's voice doing nope. it. Nope. I've been doing no, it, it, Jay, the thing I think I love the most about James Avery on Fresh Prince, because, yeah, the pool hall thing was another just perfect moment. They did that fantastically. But every so for the longest time in TV shows, the archetype was mom handles everything and dad's an idiot. But you got to have Uncle Phil. Uncle Phil was on the ball and he he was not a bumbling moron. He would, you know, he'd do some goofy stuff now and then because, you know, it's a comedy show and that sort. But push comes to shove, all of a sudden Uncle Phil is like a force of nature that you cannot mess with. He he's like a papa bear. He's yeah, you know, and I I really do think that the the like the final episode of the show is it's actually one of the more well done series finales in I guess at least for sitcoms in, re, in recent memory. I mean I, I mean like the last like let's say like 25, 30 years. Uh, I really love the interaction he has with Will Smith. Um, Cause just basically at the end, Will is trying to like thank him for basically being a father figure to him. And yeah. uncle Phil just cuts him off. It's like, you're my, you are my son. Like, yeah. That's the end. That's the end of the story. Like you're, you're, well, you're my son. And that's in the entire span of the show. It really is almost like a tearjerker moment where it's like, Oh my God. Like, cause it, it, it's true. Like he was, yeah, but it, especially with the whole like, <laughs> how come you don't want me, man? <laughs> like yeah. that. Um, yeah, that's when Ben Vereen walked out. That's, yeah, that's. It was powerful. It was really actually that's, powerful. That's really that is done. a yeah. When one of the classes that I I teach to incarcerated men where mm-hmm. is about being a parent, and I drop that clip in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't. Uh, jail is not. God. The movies and TV and that sort of stuff 
for the most part, are, are really over the top in what they portray. But on the other hand, you don't show much if you're incarcerated, right? Like, you play things really cr- close to the vest. I have had people, like, run out of the room whenever I show that clip. Because they're like, nope, can't handle this. I mean, that is that is a serious moment. And the thing, the other part of the story about that I love is Will Smith was afraid that he wouldn't have the chops to pull it off. He said, I'm not an actor. I'm a rapper who happens to act on a show. They do that. And when James Avery pulls him in real close, what he says to him right there at the end is he whispers in his ear and he goes, that's effing acting, son. And it's just like gone too soon. God rest James Avery. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to actually blow us through the rest of CBS because their mm-hmm. lineup is not much to speak of. So we have Garfield and Friends and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles hanging in there. Um, Back to the Future, which we talked about that last time. Um, I did not particularly care for the cartoon because it's it's based a little too much on three for my taste. Um, now, Raw Toonage is like a Disney anthology thing. I think I think the most noted character from this is Marsupilami, which is that weird, like, cat thing with the super long tail that I think gets his own show eventually. I have to take your word for it, because I have no recollection. I think it's based on, like, a French or a Belgian uh, cartoon. Not Well, not cartoon, like a comic strip. Okay. So it's not even like a, an original Disney property, which is probably why you've never really seen a lot of Marsupilami stuff. He was like, I, didn't he like mascot for like the Disney afternoon maybe for like a year? Can't say I remember that, which and, doesn't mean that it didn't happen. But Yeah. Now there's two shows on here, The Amazing Life, Sea Monkeys. I have no idea what that is. And then some show called Grimmy, which I don't know what that is. Um, so this 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 lineup does very little for me. Yeah. Because I, I, I I yeah. I, feel I, like, I liked I like. Huh. I was gonna say I feel like Turtles was feeling long in the tooth as a kid at this point. Yeah, I was gonna say like I would have on from this lineup I would have liked Turtles, but at this point everything would have been essentially like just reruns. They were just, mm-hmm. which I mean I probably would have already seen like everything and by syndication by now yeah definitely and um i feel like the show is getting worse at this point like that you know you're getting to that like a lot of the voice actors have changed and stuff animation quality dropped yeah yeah okay so we're gonna hit fox which i feel like fox is the only lineup that's trying but even its lineup i'm i'm not feeling too hot on so we have dog city I remember the ads for this, but I don't remember watching this. I, I know Shad said okay. he watched this. There's two fun parts to Dog City. The first thing that happened with Dog City was it was a Jim Henson production movie. So it was a it was a Now he like, was dead by this point, right? He like died in ninety no. or ninety one. No, he was still alive. I don't no I think he was still around. I think. Because he died but, of the flu, right? He died of uh, pneumonia? Yeah, he died Something of like that. flu-like symptoms, maybe. Flu that became pneumonia, maybe. Yeah. He, his okay, lung, so... <laughs> right, his lungs were filled with fluid. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a, such an inside joke for a really horrific thing that happened to Jim Henson. You know just what's funny the, is... The um, way you say it. 
you know what's funny about him is he um before he was a doctor he was actually on the the tv production crew for mid-atlantic championship wrestling in like the late 70s and early 80s wow i've actually thought about asking him to come on the show to talk about it because he has some stories because like you know he he because he was on the staff and he was there for like the interviews and stuff so cool um so dog city was originally a primetime special like detective noir movie was it like the they, fish police or whatever that stupid show was when they were tr- when everyone was trying to like not like do adult animation like The Simpsons and failing terribly? No, this wasn't animated. This was puppets. Like this, this was full bore Jim Henson production dog puppets for everything. Oh, that would have been weird. And well, I remember watching it quite. A, we had a VHS of it or something, and they parlayed that into. The show, what they did is that they would use one of the characters from that movie was an animator. And so the the show would start with him working on the show, except the main character of the TV show, Dog City, would actually converse with the animator back and forth. Okay. And so it was it was a fun gimmick. It was it was perfectly fine. Did they do like and, did they do like um did they do like. A voiceover narration from like the main character, like noir films tended to do in like the the 30s and 40s, at all. Um, they did some, but whenever he's talking to the animator, he's not just like, I don't know why they were putting me through this. Like he'd seriously look at the screen and go, Dude, where are we going with this exactly? Because I have no idea. And the animator would, it turn to the puppet looking down at his drafting board. And he'd be like, Well, you just hang on. We'll get there soon enough. And he goes. We've only got a few minutes left in the show, man. You might have to step to it. See, now I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna interject because Tiny Toons was guilty of this, and um, Animaniacs wasn't. I, I really didn't care for it as a child, and I'm still kind of iffy on it. But I never, as a kid, liked fourth wall breaking stuff to a degree. Like you could do it to a degree, and I wouldn't mind. But if you got overboard with it, like I never, I never cared for it. The only ones, and this sounds like they, they, um, they got it from the the Daffy Duck cartoon where Bugs is like animating him and like just screwing with him the whole time. But um, yeah, I, I was never a big fan of fourth wall. breaking. It's not even really a four. It's like breaking the three and a half wall because they never address the viewer. It's the main character addresses the animator and the animator talks back to the main character in it almost in a Zach Morris pause space. Okay. And that's not supposed to be a dog joke, but here we are. Um, so it, it it didn't ever like broach the fourth wall and speak directly to you, the person watching. Um, so it, it it had a weird kind of internal logic when she got used to it. Now was it was it like like old time like technology or was it like modern day technology? Did they like go all out with the old noir time. thing? Okay. Okay. Yeah, they were they were leaning pretty hard into the the noir stuff. I vaguely remember commercials for this, but I don't think I ever watched it. Mm-hmm. What about you, Matt? Did you ever anything? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> Same. Okay. So... I figured by how quiet Matt was being, he was just like, "I got nothing. Let him write I, this out." <laughs> I, I don't even remember this. I, I vaguely, vaguely mm-hmm. remember this. So, um. Then... Looks like the main character was voiced by Kevin Clash, who did the voice of Elmo. Hmm. Was um. Yeah. Did Elmo turn out to be a creep? 
maybe he he was a, he had to resign as Elmo because he got accused, right? He was accused by uh, a man for having a a sexual relationship with him when he was 16, which obviously is is you're not an adult. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess he I guess the voice uh, Kevin Clash is the actor who played All Elmo. Right. He he pushed back. He said that he did have a relationship with the man. I guess he he had to publicly come out as like a homosexual, even though he he said he didn't he ever really hit it. It's just you know, which in fairness, like it's not really relevant to his his work. Like, yeah, he you know. gives a crap. Yeah, but he he said that he wasn't really a relationship with his accuser. But they, but it was legal. Yeah, he, but he alleged that they the relationship didn't start until after the the man was actually an adult. So, okay. uh, and then know, that got like recanted, and a new one came up. Really? Yeah. I'm looking at the wiki right now. It's like Stevens recanted his accusation, but two weeks later, another one pops up and makes similar accusations. So I guess do you think, Kevin um, Clash resigns because people are going to keep coming at him. Do you or, think he got something. um? Do you think he got a cut of those tickle me elmos? I would think so. Do you think? I mean, if he did, do you think he made like? I mean, he had to have made. I mean, would you say he made like in the tens of millions, probably, of his cut of those when they were big? He had. I mean, if he got a cut, he had to have just. Because wasn't that one of the things? Um, wasn't that where Mark Hamill was really ahead of the curve when Star Wars happened? He negotiated in like a piece of the merchandising stuff. I think Luke. No, was it Lucas or Spielberg? Well, Lucas definitely did because yeah, yeah. that's that's partly how he became initially became so well, wealthy is that he negotiated he negotiated essentially the the, essentially the merchandising rights. Right, right. Well, I think and I think back what when the first movie was made, the studios didn't had no concept that it would blow up and be this like huge thing. So it became like this sensation. And now everyone wanted Star Wars merchandise, and then basically George Lucas was raking in the dough, and the the studio had nothing to like; they could do nothing about it because they had signed away their rights. Well, no, right. I think I think Mark Hamill had said when he was negotiate when they signed him up that he he had had an idea that it was going to be big, and he actually got them to give him like a small cut of like the merchandising royalties for his stuff, which wasn't really heard of at the time. But yeah, I mean, cause I think there was a time in the late seventies where like they were struggling to get like product out because it was like so in demand. And like, like some mm-hmm. of those figures, like, like when like the millennium Falcon got like released as a toy, like that, it was just like off the charts, huge. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I was trying to find that, but uh, I didn't know Robert Yingling had recommended Mark Hamill for the role. That's that's pretty fascinating, but um, oh, Hamill did. No, Engling recommended Hamill to be Skywalker. My wife, um, he, my wife just looked it up. She said Hamill um, did actually negotiate to get part of the profits of the films and stuff. Oh, oh, there it is. Yeah, which is probably why the Hollywood accounting prevents that from happening anymore yeah because but but hamill's hamill's a smart guy um yeah you hear him talk his it's actually funny have you ever heard him talking about when he was driving to like the 
the Joker thing, and he said he was freaking yeah. out people in other cars because he was like yeah. practicing in the car on the way there. He's, he's practicing his voice, like looking in the mirror, and <laughs> you know, I can't do his Joker laugh, but practicing his laughs and stuff. He was just in um, we were watching some. Oh, it's Gravity Falls. We we've been watching that on Hulu, which mm-hmm. um really underrated little kind of paranormal cartoon from I think like eight years ago. And he mm-hmm. popped up as a voice in that. Because I was like, is that Mark Hamill? I looked up like, oh, yeah, that's Mark Hamill. He can, he can just do whatever he feels like. I recently saw a picture of Mark Hamill with his sons. And all I could think looking at it was, why in the world do you think you need to go through and do like a digitally de-aged Mark Hamill for anything? Just grab one of his sons to do it. I, I like, do love it. It'll his, fit. His passive-aggressive shots at Ryan Johnson and new Star Wars always <laughs> makes me happy, too. Yeah. If Mark Hamill is telling you that you're doing Luke Skywalker wrong, you better listen. Yeah. Um, but he did. So let's blow through the next hour and a half because this is all retread stuff. So Bobby's World, Tom and Jerry Kids, Tasmania. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Tasmania I, I liked, but I I don't – it it lasted a while in Bobby's World. I think I was about done with Bobby's World at this point, though. Yeah, I think we covered both of the at least Tasmania pretty much in depth last. Yeah, the, these aren't new. Tom and Jerry kids I never cared for because that's kind of it looks like it's starting to die off. But we've talked about how in this time period, like the craze of de aging, de aging characters yeah. it was big. So then at 10 a.m. we have the Plucky Duck show. Now I do have memories of this because Tiny Toons had been on the air for a couple years at this point. And I thought this was going to be like a new show centering around Plucky Duck. And they did do a really good episode with Bat Duck. And like mm-hmm. they did like a, a Batman thing. Because I think, I think Batman Returns had come out at this point. So that was good. But then I think they really only did like three episodes. And they just kind of like cycled in like Tiny Toons. Cartoons yeah, just, like just, to fill, fill it out. Just Plucky Duck stuff from Tiny Toons. Yeah. Now, um, the next yeah, the baby plucky stuff is, is apparently evergreen. Like everybody who I've ever yeah. ever heard and talk about it just loves it. Which is it's it's it is interesting that Tiny Toons has not really appeared on the Saturday morning schedule. They've been all in the Yet. afternoon, haven't they? Yeah. Yet. Okay. Yeah. They're and going the, to appear before we're done. Yeah, yeah. and they're right. kind of they're kind of like what I feel like is Spielberg kind of getting his sea legs to really go all out with Animaniacs. Yeah. And the, the really good plucky. NES game, though. The first game's really good on oh, NES. Yeah, you're right. With the character swapping and everything. Yeah, and the that character... Was, that was really good. Except the jumping over Elvira three times, really. It's not good. <laughs> you know, she's not in the... the re, she's not... They, they're not using her in the, um, the reboot for some reason. Really? Yeah, because um, Matt and I talked about this on another episode because the who played her because we talked about her. Who? Elvira. Uh, was it Cree Summer? Yeah, because Cree oh, Summer Cree Summer had announced that she had not been asked to reprise the role because they weren't using her. For we some reason, it it took me so long to realize that Elmira was like elmer's niece oh yeah she's yeah yeah oh wow really yeah Uh, you're okay i'm just (laughs) learning this yeah i didn't think about that you didn't know she was 
You didn't realize she was the Elmer Fudd analog and that she was his niece? Because she's Elvira. Absolutely not. Elvira Duff, right? Yeah, Elmira Duff, which is Fudd reversed. I I never really thought that deep into it. But she did ruin Pinky Pinky and the Brain, though, when that show was ready to have a bullet put in it when they made it Pinky, Elmira, and the Brain. Yeah. But yeah, that the thing is that it seems like Elmira got actually more characterization than Elmer did, and so like expanded out a bunch. So you, it like the one to one analog doesn't really work like it does with Bugs and Buster. You kind of got of you kind of got bits and pieces of of um, Elmer over the years though. A little bit, but it wasn't as like you like, like when you learn he just does it for sport and he's a vegetarian. That's one of the best twists. And all of that. <laughs> but, uh, like, it, it was not the analog, like, Bugs to Buster and Daffy to Plucky and, and Taz to Dizzy and that sort of stuff. Well, Elmer really changed over the years, though, because Elmer at first was just, like, some office schlub, like, trying to camp and Bugs was, like, bugging him. Yeah. And then, like, it kind of changed over the years, because he's kind of, like... At first, he's kind of like a fat, dumpy little kind of guy in a tie. And okay. like really early stuff. And he starts wearing the, the deer stalker cap and that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, and then he, he kind of gets upgraded when, like, probably in the 50s, maybe. Okay. Yeah. I don't have a memory of that, so I have to take your word for it. The really old Looney Tunes stuff's weird, because, like, Bugs Bunny's, like, legitimately just like a nutter. And like the really early stuff. <laughs> and even like Tweety Bird didn't have like feathers at first. And he had like that Abbott and Costello cat pair trying to chase him. Hmm. So it was refined a bit over the years. Yeah. It's changed okay. a lot. So then, um, so 1030 we hit, I would say, what what is a staple of the Fox lineup for the next couple of years, um, mm-hmm. which is Eek the Cat. Uh, so Eek the Cat stays around for a while, but he usually gets like a secondary thing to it. Cause I remember the terrible thunder lizards and there was another one. I think that got added on to him. The, the cavemen, whatever that was called. Oh, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what that was called though. So then, um, so this is basically a cat, um, that bad things happen to, I guess. Eek's always trying to help and, yeah. and do, do like the right thing and always ends up getting hurt for it. I don't know what kind of message that's supposed to send, but... I just that's... remember his girlfriend was very fat, and she had a dog that protected her that was the shark dog that would like that was like that a psychopath. Yeah, that didn't like Eek at all. Yeah. So And the cavemen... The cavemen was like full-on like uh roadrunner wally cody style slapstick except they could they could complain when it because i think the big line was when will the hurting stop is what oh one of the okay said. i remember that i don't remember the name of that though Mm-hmm. so this is i mean i i have, I have very few recollections of this i remember watching it and liking it i don't know how it would hold up as an adult i would say it's probably fairly inoffensive probably fine yeah so then um, we're going to go to 11, which now I do. I remember watching this. So it's Super Dave Daredevil for Hire. Um, I don't have much to say about the cartoon because I don't remember it. I do like the character of Super Dave, though, because I remember him on doing stuff on Letterman, I think. 
the show was entering so the show would have every episode you i mean you'd have the animated super dave doing stuff that obviously you can't have uh, you know the the live action version doing but it always set up a stunt in the course of the show that happened after the end of the animated section and, and he, of course it's super dave so it goes wrong yeah but i don't think that this one would um would stand the test of time very well because something in the back of my head tickles my brain about his sidekick uh he had a sidekick who i th- i think um, was he some sort of um, very Asian stereotype? If oh, I remember okay. right, that makes sense. Let me look that up. Um, my like a, my memory's not. You know what? I can't even lie. My memory was never good, so I just have a handy excuse now. So he um, Super Dave himself is a spinoff of like a sh- another TV show, right? Like he developed the character on like some comedy show, right? Uh. Is the per I have to look it up. I remember him on was he on Curb Your Enthusiasm a lot? Yes. Uh Super Dave is actually he was Robert Einstein, who mm-hmm. real life in real life is brother his brother is comedian filmmaker Albert Brooks. Which is like that's it's, it's kind of funny. Like Albert Brooks is a I mean he's a comedian, but it's a little more serious than <laughs> than his brother yeah. he was doing essentially like this like slapstick stuntman right gimmick but yes he he was on curb your enthusiasm as a uh, marty funkhauser i love curb curb your enthusiasm he was actually a fantastic addition to that show um and they cut after his death like they kind of just didn't really mention him it's kind of sad but I I don't remember that this cartoon show that much. I remember like the the live action intro outro that they did with Super Dave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I looked him up. He his character dates back to 1972. Mm-hmm. And he was a reoccurring guest on Letterman and um, Johnny Carson. Okay. It's interesting that he he spanned both of them, I guess. But then again, Johnny and Letterman didn't exactly have the. Well, they were they were on the same network for a while too, so yeah. it wasn't like they were competing products. Right. And Letterman he, was really, I think I think younger people don't realize like Letterman was like Conan before Conan came. He was like the weird late night show that like the younger people watched because he was just, you know, before he kind of got old and lost his energy. Like I remember like when I was young, like Letterman was like the wild show, like you know. Drew Barrymore was like flashing him on his birthday and he was like throwing his cue cards out the window and stuff. Oh, that he also he had the um, the Alka-Seltzer tablet suit. I think mm. that he dumped himself in a vat and it almost killed him. <laughs> I was right. The Super Dave show, his sidekick, Fuji. Oh, um, that, yeah. That they said him. you've got to they said you have got to change the voice on this. So um, the the guy, Art. Irizawa like went through and redubbed all of his dialogue. And it's like, wow, if you have to do that, that's in ninety two. Ninety two seems really ninety two feels really late to be having such an insensitive like stereotype on a mm. on a program because it feels like I don't know, it feels like that had gotten a lot better by this point. Like I don't I don't look at any of the shows and go like, oh yeah, this has something really offensive on it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so let's go. George of the Jungle. I don't remember if this is new or old. George of the Jungle. I searched for an image, and there is there's an animated George of the Jungle like splash that looks. The art looks about this time period, but I have no memory of this happening. I remember it, but I don't remember if it's like the old like George of the Jungle or whatever. Um, or not. I know that they, Brendan Fraser did the George of the Jungle movie a couple years after this. Which had Weird Al doing the theme for it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which got covered by the Presidency of the United States of America. Wow. <laughs> interesting. Okay, so, um, yet again, not a great lineup of stuff. So we're going to go over to NBC, um, which is your, sa- so we have Saved by the Bell on here at 10 and 11.30. I think it's about to wrap up and we're going to get new class soon. Then we have Name Your Adventure, which I don't know what that is. And then at 11, we have California Dreams, which is another Saved by the Bell ripoff. Yeah, although <laughs> friend of the show, Christy Petrillo, there is. <laughs> is a big fan of California Dreams. I think he has every single episode on uh, maybe on VHS, but he definitely has it on uh, – on VHS, DVD, some sort of platform, probably multiple platforms. I need to, I, we, we need to get him on though, because I want him to go through and tell us which is the best of like the Saved by the Bell knockoffs. Uh, he might say actually California Dreams. Okay. He's, I know he's I a fan of that. He probably has the biggest private. It would not surprise me if he had the biggest private collection of California Dreams related material. He probably has, like, the side stuff. He probably has, like, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which is, like, a... I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, and I'm going really deep dive here, but I have seen it. It's, like, like it's like a it's like a TV series based on Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but it's it's yes. cashing in on Saved by the Bell. I I'm I know the show. It it started, I think, Corey, Corey Nemec is, like, the lead, who then later went on to do... He was one of the main stars of like Stargate SG one. And I remember like the, the bully ended up being like with um with the bad guys in Twister. He was like on that crew. Mm. <laughs> it was like a background <laughs> character. Weird. You have a movie called Twister and it's like the bad guys are led by Carrie Elways. Hey, I will I will bad say this because they got funding it, for it, their tornado research it is what it is hell? it is a bad movie but i i if it is on tv i will stop and watch it just because it's such a great bad movie i don't know it doesn't have that particular place in my heart but it's it's so weird and it has good special effects but it, it is a, it is like a great bad movie uh i'll go back a second i think he probably would i think christy Petrillo would probably say uh, California Dreams is the best Saved by the Bell knockoff, mm-hmm. but I think he probably holds a special it's a special place in his heart for uh, Swans Crossing. Oh, I remember <laughs> which that. Was a, which that was like... a teen drama that starred uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar before she became Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That was kind of soap opera style, wasn't it? I I think I actually never watched it. If Brad had not said, "Oh, I remember that," I would have accused you of making it up. It was like, like I, I remember there was this weird like show that came on Fox at some weird time that was like right before before the cartoon started because because our Fox really showed weird stuff so like um like at one thirty 
and you'd have to be homesick from school to see this stuff, but they oh. would show like weird anime. Like that's where I first saw Dragon Ball was like on our Fox affiliate. And it's also where I saw Samurai Pizza Cats for the first time. Ah, uh, yeah. I, 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 I own that on Blu-ray. I think you can actually get it off, um, off Amazon. It's pretty easy to get. I watched. I need to watch that show. I have so many shows. I There's need to a watch. Famicom Samurai Pizza Cats game that didn't come out I, here. I'm aware of that. I've not. I've never played it. But that show. I remember they aired that show in syndication on like weekday mornings at like we talked about different like uh different networks. I guess now now it's like the, the CW. But back when it was kind of like different networks, it was like UPN and the WB. Like one of those. They aired in syndication the See, Samurai Pizza Cat show, and I abs- I absolutely like adored that show. I remember, so it was pre WB. I don't remember what it was called. I think it was just, um, I don't remember. It was just Channel Fifty Three here, but they had like that. Um, do you remember the T Rex like Tactical Squadron, which was like these these dino- It was all dinosaurs, and they'd play like they played in like a blues band, and then they would like don armor and fight this like mob boss. Wait, what was it called? T-Rex. Let me look. Okay, this We're... is so weird because I have no idea what you're talking about, and yet I feel like I should. It, it, it was obscure, so let's see. T-Rex. Uh, let me see. I have to... I have to see if I can Google it. Sorry. I know this is such such let me see let me try t-rex cartoon that's not going to cooperate with me it's so it's kind of like um it's kind of like it's kind of like a dinosaur version of did you ever see like road rovers no I've got nothing for you on that. Okay, try Matt. Google the Adventures of T Rex, and I think that'll be you'll get it. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. I I don't I don't I don't know this show. I don't think I've ever seen it. It was obscure and not good. You know a show I do remember is I we, have we talked about it before? I think so. Dinosaurs. Yes, we've talked about that. That's a good show. Yeah. There's there's I have a lot of I have a lot of animated shows from like the late eighties, early nineties that I have either on bootleg or the official like D V D releases, but there's still like there's still shows out there that I need to get. And <laughs> I would, I would add dinosaurs to that. I need to get the, I need to get a bootleg of the new adventures of Gigantor. I, you show me, I, you, you, you were sending me a I picture think, once of your DVDs yeah. and it was in there and I was so jealous. The one thing I did send it's, you though that I have over you that, that not many people have is I have um, it's it's the American version of Mazinger Z. It's called Transor Z. Ah, I remember that show. So it never got released on any sort of DVD, but some guy in the 2000s had everything on 
DVD. It was really expensive. I think it cost me like 150 bucks. But this guy somehow went to all these stations that had it. So he made DVDs off of all the master tapes. So he, he released this like in really great shape, like Transor Z collection of all the episodes. But it's, it's a, I don't know if you guys have ever gotten like like wrestling shows or something where it was it was copied straight off the master tape. So like you'll watch it and then there's dead space where the commercials are supposed to go. And then hmm. um, it goes back to the show. So that's the, if you ever get something like that, like off a wrestling tape or something, that's because it's directly off of a master that went to a studio. So those black spots are where the, the commercials are supposed to go hmm. for the station. Just just random info, because um, that's what like my Smoky Mountain tapes are, is they're straight off the masters because Jim Cornette would had like a, a VHS cl- clubs so then they would just copy them right off the masters which if, oh wow if you're lucky enough to get something copied straight off the masters then you're getting outstanding quality because it's first generation wow okay so like my smw dvds are impeccable because they're a dvd off of a vhs that was off of a master wow yeah and so these trans cool. dvds are so um so this is our lineup. We're gonna talk about some things that came in the spring, but um, so I wanted to I wanted to just go ahead and and touch on something real. This thought I was having when I was looking over this for prep for tonight, and I kept wondering why in the world does Save by the Bell had you know this this proliferation it seemed like, and it it seems to me. That Saved by the Bell was kind of the binge watching the same show over and over again, even though you've already watched the, you know, like there are people who will, whenever they finish watching The Office, they'll just start the whole series over again. It seems to me that Saved by the Bell was TBS broadcasting a version of that. It's something you've seen a hundred times that you can throw on in the background, but you're not going to miss anything. It was unique at the time. Like, I can't think of anything... Other than like Degrassi, which I don't know if that predates Saved by the Bell, but I can't think of anything that was aimed at kids and adolescents that was like Saved by the Bell at the time. And like it was such a phenomenon. Like you're, it's it's essentially you're essentially with like all these knockoffs. You're just getting like when things started knocking off the turtles or another like popular concept, like, you know, and transformers hit and then, you know, you have the go bots and you have all these like transforming things coming out. Like, I think, I think it's just a live action kid show getting that instead of like an animated one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, I don't know. It's so weird. Cause I look at that and I'm like, why was this so such a bit? I guess it's because they're the ones that just they, struck. And it was they popular. struck early I mean, with it. I, yeah, it was. I, I can't. It's hard to describe how how big it was for like three or four years. But so we have to pick a winner here, which I'm. I don't know. Like I'm just looking at these lineups, and I'm just like. I, I don't feel like a winner. <laughs> no, because yeah. like I guess if I had to pick one for me, Fox probably barely edges out ABC. Fox 
has more stuff that would probably have engaged me. Dog City, Plucky, Eek, and Super Dave in, would have engaged me at the time. And Tasmania, too. Well, yeah, that's that's in. fair. Cowboys and Darkwing uh, would have been, like, the big draws for me in this time period. And so, I, I, feel like, I feel like with CBS, I would have been tired of Garfield, and I would have been tired of the Turtles by this point. If I'm... If I woke up enough in time for it, it would I would have been Dog City, and then I would have eaten breakfast during the 8.30 time slot, and then Cowboys, Darkwing, uh, probably Plucky, Eek, and then I don't – I probably would have watched some of Super Dave and then probably dropped to Bugs and Tweety. See, I, so think in, I think around now I was getting up super early because – one of these years, it might be this year or the next year, one of the Ultraman series came over here randomly, and it was mm-hmm. on at like 6.30 in the morning, and I was a big Godzilla fan, so it was like a weekly kaiju TV show. Right. So um, I was all about that. I know that there was uh, a... There was a, um, a stretch of time, and I don't know which network was doing it, but because for some reason I just randomly woke up this early one Saturday, but there was a, um, one of the networks was showing Dragon Ball at like six o'clock in the morning, which to me, I'm like, that seems like a terrible idea, but you know, if you're wanting to get people into it, but I guess it was just like, well, we'll throw it here and see what happens. I, I will say when I, when I was in high school, um, I would get up an extra 20 minutes early because I wanted to watch Beast Wars before I drove to school because I, I loved Beast Wars. I don't think I had anything that I loved that much to watch when I was in high school. It's kind of uh, hard now because uh, yeah, well, Inferno uh, calls um, Megatron the queen and Megatron gets mad at him. You know what? I did not actually watch hardly anything uh, after school when I was in high school because I was at practice. Um, I was at practice after school Monday through Friday, and then I would go to my martial arts class on Tuesday and Thursday. So Friday would have been the only day where I would have come home and just watched anything. Oh, see, I was um, Extreme Ghostbusters was after school for a couple of years in high school. So I always made sure to get home to watch Extreme Ghostbusters because that was a good show. I think see, that that aired like on a in the weekday mornings where I was. Oh, see, that was like a like a three thirty show maybe here. Mm. I had satellite at the time though, so I think I was watching that on the New York WB, or I might have been watching it. So um, have either of you guys had satellite? It's different now, but so we had it in the '90s, and you would get. Um, you would get LA's local stations mm. and you would get um, New York's local stations. So the nice thing was you all if you missed something because DVR wasn't a thing, like let's say you missed your your favorite show that would have been on network TV at eight o'clock um, on the East Coast, like in your area, you could catch it in LA three hours later. But I think nope. I watched this on I think I watched this on New York's WB station 
No, I didn't have satellite, so it was a. Uh, I I just didn't have that, so. Um. Uh, so are you? Let's. Let, so I'm gonna say. We wanna just pick the new stuff up from the next. Oh. We have to pick right, winner. We gotta pick so our winner. That's I'm, right. I'm going to take. I'm gonna take Fox by a smidge over ABC. I would probably take ABC just because I probably would be a, a fan of the Cowboy Show and Darkwing Duck. Like that hour would probably push it over. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm sitting here. Is I was trying to figure I, if I had the whole morning for it, then on Fox I would have been spending – I probably would have spent more time on Fox, but I would have enjoyed the stuff on ABC more. So I think ABC would just take it by a hair for me. This is a really weak lineup of stuff, though. Yeah, even with stuff I really like, that's still that's still tough. Yeah. So now we are going to talk about the spring because some um, there is a watermark show that hits the airways here, but we're gonna we're gonna take a slight divergence to CBS. So um, at 11 a.m., which I never knew this existed, but this is Cyber Cops, which I've been told dun, by dun, my co-host dun, 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 dun. is just rebranded cops, cops from the late cops 80s. fighting crime in a future in time. A future time. I, had the I actually was a for this. big fan of the cops line. The I loved cartoon, it with the cartoon and the it. toys. Yes. I had a lot of the toys. Oh, you! I'm. Oh, young me would have been so. Jealous. I had. I had the, the toys and the vehicles. The only thing we could ever find from the toy line, I had a a boss man, a big boss. What was it, big mm. boss or was it boss man? It was big boss. Big boss. Okay, I knew it wasn't big boss man, but I had <laughs> I had a figure of big boss. So therefore, in my action figure conflicts, he was always kind of the general for the antagonists. But um, yeah, it's so weird. Like you know, I'd build I'd I'd build up these two giant sides and then have the the conflict take place, but. I never could find any of the other stuff. Even whenever, you know, my family's foraying out of our our usual locale, other places, I couldn't find them. Like I wanted a mace so bad it was driving me nuts. I I even had the vehicles for this, which was yeah. which was rare cuz I even had like the helicopter and the, the armored truck and stuff. I think the I think even the vehicles came with figures too. They did. Mace, okay. First of all, the one of the cool things was the the leader for the cops, BP Vess. Um, I think we might have even touched on that when Night Mage was on. BP Vess was actually a a pretty cool leader because you know he tried his his taking down Big Boss by himself, and when that didn't work and he became a cyborg, he assembles this team. My favorite of the team was was Mace, the the heavy weapons guy with his laser bazooka. Now that sounds weird, but it makes it it looked really cool. I liked Longarm, which was just like a standard. He had like the standard beat cop uniform, but he had like a little he had a little gadget on his arm that like shot like a like a a, a handcuff at people. He was it's my favorite. A power cuff. Yeah, and he was the he was the figure that I had the hardest time getting. He was the last one okay. I got, which was also the one I wanted the most because that's how that always works when you're yeah because sure. it it drove me nuts. Remember when they did T and G? figures for like not not the really crappy ones but when they did like the the nicer ones in like the like the early 90s uh 
they're a little bigger and they had like the phasers and like that had like the, the beam shooting out of them and stuff. Okay. I had some of not the super little ones. They yes, were more yes, size. yes, yes. I, it took me a second to remember the phasers, the beams you'd attach to the phase. Yes, I had I had several of those. So I, I, I love those, but for some reason, I, they must have been a recall and they never released them. You could not get Deanna Troy, and it drove me nuts. I had a, I had a Deanna Troy. Ugh. And it, the, the reason that that went down at all is because my dad liked Next Gen. So he was down for it, but... You know, Riker, Picard, Worf, uh, Troy, Crusher, um, one of the Klingons, I don't remember, I guess it was, it was probably, uh, I think it was, a standard, they had like a standard Romulan, a standard Klingon, and I think a standard Ferengi, they, which was a, they did have a standard Ferengi with the energy whip and the Ferengi. And I phaser. think they had a Borg, didn't they? Yes, I had a Borg. And, um, I also had the micro machines. Oh my god, the micro machines. Yes. I had all the they were I still have them actually, but um my, I, do you uh, remember when they did the Star Wars micro machines but they did like the, yes. the sets like that were the heads yes. that were scenes yes. and you could get like the little toys. Do you remember these, Matt? Uh no. I don't oh my gosh. My brother and I collected so many Starship micro machines that it got to a point when at, at some point Mom and Dad, for for many years, they had a, uh, a you know, an artificial tree for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And after a while, they were like, okay, this one's starting to get kind of worn out. They went looking for a new one. They just gave that one to my brother and I, and then they gave us some some um, wire that had like uh, like a green rubber coating on it. And so my brother and I took all of our Star Trek and Star Wars micro machine ships, wrapped the wire around them. And hunt made our own Christmas tree that just had lights and then starships all over it. <laughs> and I think Mom still has all of them. Um, well, they I never think, made Negvar micro-machine that I'm aware of. I think the Star Wars ones kind of came about because, like, the Mighty Max stuff was so popular for a while. Mm, I don't know. I remember that. I remember those. It's, the Mighty Max was kind of like the... They were like boy poly pockets. Yeah, they're that, that's exactly oh, what I would try that. Okay. As. Okay, yeah, I got you. And then it kind of developed a mythology and actually um it was actually a pretty solid cartoon with um Tim Curry as oh, the yes. Skullmaster. And I think Richard Mull was um the bodyguard. Yes, uh Norman? Yeah, Norman. I need to see if that's on DVD. I I remember enjoying that show. But yeah, Cops was uh, my friends and I really enjoyed Cops. Uh, yeah, that was it was a good show. Cops. So then, and the animation, like it's stylized, but it still it looks good. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna hit the big one here before we sign oh, off the evening. So um, we need the music, don't we? Well, so this was I mean I don't know this was huge at the time because this so this is X Men so this is um. This is probably the height of their popularity, which I think is remarkable about this show is it's one of the few cartoons that looked exactly like the comic books looked at the time. <laughs> like if you watched X-Men the cartoon, then you picked up the comics. They looked exactly the same because it was that Jim Lee style. Everyone looked the same. And um, 
I've watched it a bit as an adult, and it doesn't hold up great, but they do tackle, like, it stays very true to the comics. It's one of the, I think, few, other than Spider-Man. Spider-Man stays pretty true to comic plots, but it, it really tries to be the comic book on the screen versus a it lot of other stuff. It also tried to stay accessible. Yeah. Because there some Spider-Man got into the weeds a bit. If you missed something on Spider-Man, you were lost. X-Men tried to stay accessible. Like, I remember, and and from seeing some stuff later on, I'm fair certain that what they do is they, they took some plots or something like that and, and I guess kind of dumbed them down and chopped them up in order to get them into the uh, into the 30-minute format. But then they also started doing, like, multi-episode yeah. stuff. But like Spider Man, Spider Man got com- Spider Man was complex because essentially after season one of Spider Man, it all builds to Secret Wars, which ends the series. Like that's that's the whole thing. Like Madam Web was like preparing him for, but like it's a slow burn through seasons and seasons of Spider Man that builds to like the end. Okay. Whereas X Men, X Men has like season long arcs, but they did like I think like the Dark Phoenix saga might have been like a five parter. It was. I was oh god there I'd got so irritated with my parents cuz there was uh an episode the last episode of the Dark Phoenix saga I think I think that's what it was They that morning they got up and they wanted us to go to an estate sale and <laughs> X-Men was at 11 o'clock, and I did not have any leverage to argue with and god I wanted to see how I wanted to see the end of it and we went there, and a, it it took a year and a half for the episodes to cycle around again for them to play that that arc again. Well, you know what guess what happened next time that it was going to come on? Another, Another estate, estate sale <laughs> that <laughs> I didn't give one wet hot shit about. Yeah, that, it was just they wanted to go and look at shit on a Saturday morning when there was something they wanted to do. That was the worst Sorry. thing about pre-DVR days was um. Like, if you were a kid and something was a multi-parter, like, you always had that white whale episode that you would always miss. Yeah. I'm sorry, Matt. What were you going to say? Uh, all right. Are your parents and the same as my parents where we separated at birth? Because that's, <sighs> that's exactly the shit that my parents were. Yeah. It, it, see, it, it, they, were, they weren't even, like, straight up estate, estate sales. You can go in there and, like, oh, I'll get this and this. They were auctions. It was buying lots of like bullshit. My dad would take like, me. Dad's like, I like two or three of the things in this lot. I'm gonna buy the whole thing. Here, you can carry it back to the car. I'm like, I don't want to carry the damn thing back there. I don't give a shit about any of this. My dad. Why would are you take... in a bad mood? It's like, cause I don't want to be here. I'm you, bored. You know what the worst was about this? I didn't go to a bunch. My dad would take me to maybe one or two a year. But the worst was you would always have like. Someone would always have like a Commodore 64 with like everything you'd want on it. And it was just old enough that you thought you could talk your dad into like bidding on it and getting it for you. And he had put down a decent enough bid and some jerkwad would always come in and pay like 300 bucks for like the whole lot, which, you know, you knew even as a kid, like you couldn't convince your dad to do. But he was willing to put like he was willing to go in like 100 bucks for you, which was fair. But you'd never get the damn Commodore 64. In all the games that were there, we um well we kind of already had that, but um it was a uh, we just oh, God he got was... me some he got me some swank like 
it must have been like a pre-war game thing, but it, they were all these like little metal knights. Um, he won me at some auction once, and those were awesome. See the 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 frustrating thing, and Matt, we'll see how how true this holds here uh, between both of us. Was that going to these damn things? There was there was like I didn't have any input whatsoever. It was even if there was something that interested me, that didn't matter. That wasn't coming into play at all. So I was just like, you know what? I hate these things. I'm not going to be pleasant about it. And you know, you all are going to get mad at me. It's like, oh no, the I I I have a weekend from school. But I have to get in a car, ride for an hour and a half, miss stuff I was wanting to watch on TV, to come out here and stand around in a dank-ass smelling old house, so you all could, so you could root through lots of bullshit from someone who died that I don't even know what you're going to do with, and you want to know why I'm in a bad mood? This Gee. took forever too, forever. God. Yeah, the whole day shot. And the thing they always wanted would be the last thing that they had put up to. Because you'd be like, oh, okay, well, they're going to bid on what they want, and then we can actually go because that works. But then it'd be like the second to last thing, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, just kill me. Yeah, uh, that that was something that I caught a lot is, you know, why are you in such a bad mood? It's like, well, I'm in a bad mood because I don't want to be here. I don't, I don't like anything about this. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be here. Is it shocking to you that I'm in a bad mood? I had a Game Boy by this point, so I could I at least always had recourse to amuse myself. Had to leave it in the car. Oh, that's not good. Wow. We were well, you we could, we you had could lose that Chad. Yeah, we had Game Gears. Like I was gonna lose that thing. We had Game Gears, and had to leave them in the car, probably because it kept us quiet while we were driving, uh, or while we were riding in the car. But nope. I just, but you could have you could have beaten off a kidnapper with that with all the batteries in it. We had an external battery pack that actually hooked to it and worked really well. But you know, here's the thing: there are still times as an adult when mom and dad are like, "Hey, we're gonna go to an auction. We want you to come." I'm like, "No." Well, we're gonna go to this thing. We thought, "No." I said, "No, I'm not going." I don't ever go to these things. You should just be you like, all managed to instill a hatred of them in me that will never abate. You should just be like, um, when they're like, why don't you want to go? And you should just be like, eBay motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, trust me, Dad's all about the eBay. I don't want to go because if there's something I want to get, I'm not going to go like futz around in somebody's old stuff looking for it on the off chance it might be there. Because, number one, if I drag my kids along to it, they're going to get bored and whiny, and that's going to put me in a bad mood about it. Number two, if I don't find it, I'm going to be aggravated that I spent all that time looking for something I'm not going to find. Number three, if I really want it, there are places I could, like eBay or Amazon I could go to find it. So I'm not going to any of these damn things. I, I actually have more luck on Facebook Market for getting good deals on stuff now if, you, if you're just yeah. willing to watch. And yeah, people if, are if willing to negotiate and stuff. Just be patient and, and, and wait, and something will come up. But no, I'm not going. I don't want it. I don't care. I don't give a shit. That, I, I, I want to go back to X-Men for a minute, though. It did drive me nuts. Please that, do. That I'm sorry. Morph... That was a bad tangent on my part. No, no, it's it's fine. I, I, I feel your pain. But Morph <laughs> not being a legitimate character in the comics bothered me as a, as a, as a very um, demanding child. Well, preteen at this point. 
Did you guys have the trading card, the X-Men trading cards that came out probably the year before this? No, I'm sorry. They did that. The X-Men series had, there was like three or four of those because they went into like, did you guys ever get into like the Marvel and DC trading cards at all? I probably uh, so. No. Ah, oh, you're missing out. They also had Pogs at one point. We're not quite. Oh, I just made anymore. my own Pogs. Uh, I had an at-home Pog maker, so whatever I wanted on a Pog, I'd just make it my own self. Well, so they but, they they did they started around I think '91, so they would do like a series a year of Marvel, well of X-Men, and because the Marvel kind of died out after series three, but um, because I remember like Ghost Rider had a rookie card in the Marvel ones because mm-hmm. they used to give you like fake like battle records to everyone but the the yeah i i would get the x-men one yearly probably up until like 95 or 96 you yeah. start getting those really nice like painted looked ones i actually found a box of um like a complete mm. set i had of of an x-men one from i think Fleer put them out actually yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. A amusing story for you, but a friend of mine who was a teacher, they had a rule at their school about no bringing in trading cards or any kind of cards. Okay. And this kid had found his dad's WCW trading cards. They got confiscated, and at the end of the year, nobody claimed them, so she picked them up and gave them to me. Was it a full set? No, it was not a full set. Weren't but, those pretty uh, you know, ugly? Uh, like bright yellow borders with like the 80s like confetti style accenting on it and that yeah. sort of stuff. But yeah, there was Sting and Flair and Luger and stuff like that in it. So I always used to love yeah. the it's, – it's such a lost art, but the, the crappy, dry, cut-your-gum-open piece of gum you used to get in trading oh. cards was the best. Yeah. Uh, that that usually just went in the trash for me. I tried it a couple of times, but from that point on, it's like the bubble gum is just – it's just garnish that I don't care about. You, you know what I still love? And my wife and I actually did one for fun of like hockey a couple years ago. Did you guys ever get the sticker books, like the collectible sticker books? Mm-mm. Yes, when I was very little, I would get that. Yes, those are great. So, Shad, what they were is you would – you would get them like you would get packs of, of trading cards and then the, they would be numbered and you'd buy like this book that goes with it. And then if you got the right ones, you would make pictures. Mm. Yes, but uh, you'd have to blind buy packs of stickers to get. Yeah. To get to get all the stickers. Yeah, no, thank you. That's it was ingenious because back in the day, like I, I, I would definitely want to get extra sticker packs because I need them all. Yeah. I never, As, I never trading it. cards were the best. <laughs> I, I liked trading cards, but I was a weird kid when it came to stickers. I never wanted to use them because in my head I always had this thought of, what if I put them on the wrong thing? There, so There was also the G.I. Joe um, trading cards, which were the best. I had those. I actually had a whole bunch of those. Yeah, those were, those were great. I think because I even remember they hit the dollar stores. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the Do you remember the Desert Storm trading cards that where you could yep. get like all the military equipment? I had a bunch of those too. I had Storm and Norman. I, I remember that, but 
No, but by the time I hit, I think eighth grade and on through high school, I was pretty big into Magic at that point. So yeah, that's about when I was playing a lot of Magic: The Gathering, and that's about when I discovered Magic. And then after I quit, like senior year of high school, and then in college I picked it back up right around. I can't remember what the uh, the Mirrodin block, which just pissed me the hell off. Because Mirrodin was the using artifacts. It was like a revisit of the Urza saga, but it introduced the dark steel mechanic, which dark steel stuff was indestructible. And it's like the the utter shit am I supposed to do with this? It's like dark steel colossus nine nine with trample indestructible. And I'm like, well, I I guess I'm just done then. I would just trash mob people. Like I I've only. I played until high school, and I think I briefly played a bit in college, and then played a bit when my niece got into it. But I'd always just, I'd always just get some cheapo commons and make like a trash mob with some direct damage spells. Oh, I, I, I had so many decks. I think the most aggravating, even if it didn't win, was I had this blue-white control deck where I would just end up locking, locking things down. So I got a scroll rack. I'd be like, I'm going to sort through my cards, and I had um, thawing glaciers in it so I could cycle the lands out so I wasn't drawing a land when I was going for something, and island sanctuary, because I'd be like, no, nah, I don't need to draw this turn, and, and stuff like that. It was, that had to be an obnoxious as hell deck. But. Well, that's, um, that's 1992, which, um, really a weak year of TV. Next year is more interesting, though, because... We get some stuff I really enjoyed because I know Tales from the Crypt Keeper is coming up next year, which I liked that as a kid. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff that I liked in this year, but it was not a, it was not a great year. No, it was pretty, it's pretty it's... blah. Matt, did you have any parting thoughts you wanted to put in? No, I think it's, I think like next, next ep, next season. Uh-huh. Let me look at the lineup. It's much better. Uh, oh yeah. Oh oh yeah. There's some really. There's some stuff here. Because this. Because we start getting into like what I would call the 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 bulk of the '90s. Because then Power Rangers is coming up quick, and Spider Man, and like mm-hmm. Animaniacs. Yeah. Hits Saturday morning. Like there's there's one year in particular I think where Fox has like Animaniacs, Power Rangers, Spider Man, X Men, and The Tick all on like the oh, same yeah. day. There's like one year where it's like insane, like where you would not turn Fox off all day. No, no, it's um, just I was even kind of um, aged out on on Power Rangers kind of at that. But that's still just an like the strongest Saturday morning lineup I can think of. Just all of that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So, all next right. Year's, well, next year's, I promise next to the people listening, I promise next year's better. I, I really promise <laughs> next year's better. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us for this episode. Um, everything that we went through. Was there something we missed? Did you have an opinion about one of the uh, the episodes or one of the things we didn't talk about? We would love to hear from you. Please hit us up on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, Twitter is the most active, but you can hit us up on any of them. We would love to hear from you. And so 
This is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth. And we will catch you next time.